Welcome to all those joining us for the Shir in Chaim Oharan. <clears throat> we dedicate the learning today, Leilu Nishmas, Yurachmiel Daniel Ben Gedalia, Rosa Basi Tamar, <clears throat> also for a complete Rafur Shalema for all those that need it, including Chavivachana Basgalia, Idis Bas Miriam Brindle, Yusbehendel Bas Gitaleya, Sarochel Bas Yusbehendel, Avivilana Bas Yusbehendel, David Lay Ben Shena, <clears throat> Eitan Yoel ben Edna, Tuvietzi ben Chaya Aliza, Boruch Mordechai ben Tali, Nosn Yehuda ben Tali, Yehuda ben Soramaya, Jonas ben Hilda, Rus Alexandres the Chaya Bas, Bas Luna Patricia, Mazel Bat Zahava, Moshe David Eliyahu ben Risha, Besoich Shar Choyli Yisrael, <clears throat> We're continuing and coming to the end, pretty much, of the period of time that Rabbein Ezel spent in Uman. A little bit of what we're going to learn today is going to be review of what we've touched on in the past, but there's always something new and something important, because if Rabbein Ezel repeated it, obviously there was something new to add. <clears throat> he writes that at first, when Rabbi Nezal arrived in the city of Uman, he stayed in the house of this Nachman Nassen Rappaport, who he mentioned had passed away. He was one of the Maskilim, one of the people who didn't believe in Hashem, unfortunately. And Rabbi Nezal stayed in that, that house for about a month, until after Shavuos. And Rabbi Nezal says, I was his, with him throughout that entire period. Then Rabbi Nezal requested that they find a better place for him to stay with his family. And Rabbi Nezal says, we searched throughout the whole city to find a place that would be good for him and couldn't find anything that Rabbi Nezal would agree with. And then suddenly a person came along who we didn't know at all. He didn't know Rabbi Nezal, And he offered to give Rabbi Nezal his house free of charge, a beautiful place beautiful place that looked good. Rabbi Nezal liked it. <clears throat> it had many rooms. It had a garden in front of the windows. All looked perfect for Rabbi Nezal in his condition at the time with the tuberculosis where he needed a very airy place to stay. And then somehow it didn't work out. It didn't work out. And Rabbi Nezal ended up going into the house of a Rabbi Yosef Shmuel which we rented for him. We had to pay rent. <clears throat> and Rabbi Nezal went into that house right after Shavuos and spent several weeks, stayed there for several weeks. And Rabbi Nezal writes that Rabbi Nezal said to me at the time that this will also be something to tell over in the future, how suddenly a person came along, doesn't know me at all, offers to give me his house for free, and then somehow it fell through and Rabbi Nezal ended up staying in this house of this Rabbi Yosef Shmuel with some of the members of his family. However, Rabbi Nezal didn't really like it. It wasn't airy enough, it wasn't large enough. And Rabbi Nezal ended up leaving there in the beginning of the month of Av, which means he stayed there for about two months and then he went into that house of this person who had asked him to come and stay there free of charge. As soon as Rabbi Nezal entered that place, one of the people from the city of Uman came and, and started to bless Rabbi Nezal that he should be zeuchet to, to, to be there for long term. And he said, this, it seems like this is definitely a good place for you to stay because it's airy. And Rabbi Nezal's pointed, he pointed outside, he pointed outside the window and he said, did you see this beautiful garden here? How nice this garden is? How do you like, what do you think of it? And the person thought he was referring to the garden right outside the house. Rabbi Nezal said to him, no, 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 I'm referring to the cemetery because from the windows there, you were able to see a short distance away the cemetery that was there. 
Rabbein Azal said, that's the garden that I'm referring to. And Rabbein Azal said, you have no idea how special, how important is the holiness of this cemetery here. It's something extraordinary. Now we know Rabbein Azal in chapter 65 in Likudim Aran speaks about the Garden of Souls. It's one of the famous chapters in Likudim Aran which was translated into English, published as a separate pamphlet by BRI, The Garden of Souls, where Rabbeinazal refers to the souls that, of people that pass away <coughs> as being part of a garden. We know there's a Pasuk in the beginning of Bereshis where Hashem refers to people as Revova Ketsema Chasodene I've made you plentiful like the vegetation of the fields. And Rav Nosanzal writes that Rav Nosanzal spoke about this multiple times to different people praising this cemetery in Uman, that there are many holy souls, thousands, tens of thousands, because of the terrible massacre that took place there shortly before Rav Nosanzal was born. And there was an incredible Kiddush Hashem, sanctification of Hashem's name. And Rabbein Asal commented that this would be a very good place to be buried because of the incredible Kiddush Hashem that took place there. And Rabbein Asal says, later on, Rabbein Asal's words were fulfilled. He ended up passing away in the city of Uman, <clears throat> in the house of this person who gave, him, gave away his house to Rabbein Asal. And then everybody saw and realized and understood that this was really the main reason for Rabbeinazal coming to Uman, because he knew that he needed to pass away and be buried there, as we heard from him many times. Rabbi Nosanzal adds that regarding the time that Rabbeinazal spent in Uman, <coughs> there's, there's no way we can describe the little bit that we heard from Rabbeinazal, the little bit and what we understood about the significance of what he accomplished while he was there that summer that he spent there, the incredible tikkunim, and how he was involved not just in helping us, but especially in, in repairing the souls that were there, especially based on the story that I heard from Rabbein Azal when we first set out on the trip to leave from Breslov to Uman, when Rabbein Azal spoke about the Baal Shem Tov coming to a certain place where he had to elevate many of the souls that were there and the Baal Shem Tov understood that this was a very difficult mission and he understood that this he needed to pass away there in order to be able to really accomplish the mission. And then Rabbein Azal said that the Baal Shem Tov met two people there, there was a whole interaction with them and that was able to help the Baal Shem Tov, Baal Shem Tov to avoid having to pass away there. <coughs> Then Rav Nosanzal says, in addition to this, I heard from a person who traveled with Rabbein Azal eight years before that, when Rabbein Azal left the city of Zlatopolya to move to Breslov, which was when Rabbein Azal was approximately 30 years old. <clears throat> and when they were traveling from Zlatopolya to Breslov, they passed through the city of Uman, and when they entered there, they passed by not far from this cemetery. And Ravenazal said how wonderful, how special it would be to be buried in this cemetery. And Ravnosanzal says, when I heard this from this person, when he told me that eight years earlier Ravenazal had said this, I was in awe <clears throat> because now we realize that even at that point, Rabbein Azal already was given a message he understood <clears throat> that his final resting place would be in Uman. Because when we find, when Rabbein Azal came to Breslov, this was eight years before he passed away. And what took place during those eight years and, and everything he accomplished, just a little bit that we understand, Rabbein Azal says, there's no way to describe it. But in the end, we were Zeicher, that, that this incredible treasure remained with us, meaning that Rabbein Azal ended up <clears throat> remaining in the Ukraine, 
and being buried in, in close proximity where we should be able to visit his kever in Uman, which was his plan from, from when he was 30 years old. And Rav Nosanzal writes, and as a result of this, there's still hope for us to be zoiche to all the good that Rabbein wanted for us, all the tikkunim, all the things that Rabbein wanted to do for our souls. The fact that even after he passed away, he's still with us, he's still close by, we're able to visit his kever. <clears throat> and Rav Nosanzal says, there's a lot inside of me in my heart that I, I can't really express because of the darkness in the world, meaning that there are things he would want to say about this that he feels he cannot put, cannot verbalize, cannot write down because people might not understand it and people might not take it properly. <clears throat> the next paragraph, 218, shortly before Rosh Hashanah, which was again about two weeks before Rabbeinazal passed away, he was talking to some of his students <clears throat> about passing away. And he said that I feel that it's already three years after I, I died, after I passed away. Because as soon as he became sick with this illness of tuberculosis, it was as if he already died. And he said, I have, I have no idea with what merit I was zeichet to live miraculously these three years. And then people hearing him talking this way were sighing and saying, what, what are we supposed to do? Who, who are you leaving us with? And Rabbi Nassau said at the time, <clears throat> all you need to do is stick together, have unity among yourselves, and then you'll be zeichet to become really religious people. And not just religious people, but even tzaddikim, real good tzaddikim. Because Hashem has helped me in the past, definitely, and Hashem will help me that things will be completed the way I want to. Because with Hashem's help, I've succeeded in completing things, and I will finish everything the way I would like to with Hashem's help. In Hebrew, it's translated gomarti ve'egmoyer. I have completed things and I will complete things. And Rabbi Nezal said, any person who will put in the effort and attach themselves to one of my followers will definitely become a truly religious person, not just religious, but even a complete tzaddik the way I would want. And later on, we're going to have a section, there's a whole section in Chaim Aran where Rabbi Nezal speaks about the specialness of those who are zeichet to come close to him. Now, in the next paragraph, paragraph 219, Rabbi Nezal writes that throughout that summer, Rabbi Nezal was waiting, anxiously waiting for Rosh Hashanah because as he told us many times that to him the most important thing was Rosh Hashanah and his whole focus was on Rosh Hashanah. <clears throat> and on Shavuos, there were many students that came to Rabbi Nezal expecting him to give over Torah like he did throughout the years, but he didn't. That Shavuos, he did not give any shear like he usually did. And he commented, like we mentioned earlier, he commented, you're not such sinners that I have to speak Divrei Torah because we know again that there are portions in the Torah that are based on sins that the Jews committed. But on Rosh Hashanah, when Rosh Hashanah arrived, Rav Nosanzal says, Rav Nosanzal gave an incredible, incredible shir, which is chapter 8 in the second half of Likud Imran, <clears throat> where he begins with the words that even though rebuke is a major mitzvah in the Torah, but, but the Gemara says, Rabbi Akiva once said, I wonder if there's anybody in my generation who's qualified to give rebuke. And Rabbi Nezal gave a long, long shear on that topic, including many different things. And in that shear, he also spoke about Shavuos. 
and I believe it's Rav Nosenzal or Rav Nachman Shirin says that it seems that Rav Nosenzal was also paying back on that Rosh Hashanah for the Torah that he didn't say on the previous Shavuos. <clears throat> now Rav Nosenzal gets into a little bit of detail of what took place that Rosh Hashanah. He writes that the first day of Rosh Hashanah was Shabbos. And right after they finished the meal, which is when in the morning, <clears throat> in the morning hours, Rabbi Nassau would usually start preparing himself for the shear, which he would give in the late afternoon of the, of the first day of Rosh Hashanah. And the shear would go well into the night of the second day of Rosh Hashanah. But that year, when he, when he was about to start preparing himself to give the shear, his sickness, the tuberculosis, became very, very severe, and Rabbeinazal started coughing up blood, quantities of blood, which had never happened before. Even though he suffered from this tuberculosis for three years, he would cough up phlegm, lots of phlegm, but never with blood. And now he started coughing up blood, and Rav Nosenzal says it was like a fountain flowing out of him. Incredible, that filled up several basins of blood. And then he was vomiting. And Rav Nosenzal said, I never in my life vomited before. Because again, the sickness then suddenly intensified, got much, much worse, to the point where it seemed he almost died. And this went on for several hours till it got dark and it continued several hours into the night. And Rav Nosenzal says, we were all waiting in the other room, the large room outside. Everybody was waiting to see if he would come in and give his, his, his shear. And there were many people, Rav Nosenzal says, there were several hundred people there because there were guests, many people who had come from outside cities to be with Rabbein Azal for Rosh Hashanah, besides the people from the city of Uman itself that also came to hear Torah. And everybody was waiting throughout the day, hoping that he would be able to give a shear. And Rabbein Azal says there was incredible, incredible pressure. So many people crowded together to the point where it was almost sakana from the, the, the number of people crowded into the area. And this continued into the night. And yet, Rabbi Nassau didn't come in because he was so sick. Afterwards, Rabbi Nassau sent for me, Rabbi Nassau says, and I came in, and the candles, they had already lit candles for the second night of Rosh Hashanah. And there were a few people standing there, Rabbi Shimenzal, who was one of Rabbi Nassau's first students, and Rabbi Nassau's brother, Rabbi Chiel, and another few people. And Rabbi Nassau said to me, what should I do? impossible, impossible to speak. And Rav Nosenzal says, I started telling him, when you first returned from Lemberg, which is when Rav Nosenzal had started, when this sickness started, it also seemed impossible for you to, to speak. You were very, very weak, and yet you were able to say Torah on Rosh Hashanah. And Rav Nosenzal says, I, I gave him a little bit of encouragement. And then at one point, Rabbi Nezal said, if that's the case, then I'm, I'm ready. I'm, I'm ready to, to sacrifice, to do whatever it takes. And Rabbi Nezal says that Rabbi Nezal lifted up his hands as if to say, I'm ready literally to do whatever it takes to give over these words of Torah. And Rabbi Nezal says he sent me out to make room to place his chair not in the usual place, which would be in the center of the room, but rather to position his chair right next to the entrance, which separated from the large room where everybody was, to Rabbi Nezal's room, his own personal private room, so that if chas v'sham, he would have to get out quickly, they would be able to do it. And Rabbi Nezal says, we did this, and then Rabbi Nezal entered in an incredible weak state. And he went up and sat on the chair. It seems that there was a platform, some kind of platform, so that people should be able to see, people should be able to hear. And he sat there for a short while, 
and then he began to speak very weak. And Rav Nelson Zal writes, when he started to speak, it, it seemed completely impossible that he would be able to speak for any length of time because he was hardly able to get a sentence out. He was so weak. Certainly not to be able to give a Dvar Torah that would take an hour or two to say. And yet Hashem helped him and he completed the entire Torah. This is a chapter on the Kutimran that continues for maybe seven, eight pages. The only thing he didn't complete, he didn't finish the interpretation of the Pasuk. When Rabbein Azal gave a shir on Rosh Hashanah, especially those last three years of his life, he would always begin quoting the Pasuk, Tiku b'choide shoifor b'kesel ayoyim chagenu ki choik l'Yisroel hu the special Pasuk that we say on the night of Rosh Hashanah, right before the Shmon Esrei. So the explanation for that Pasuk, he didn't finish. That he only gave over after Yom Kippur. And Rav Nosanzal says there was tremendous pressure in the room at the time because there were so many people, it was impossible for the people to be, for everything, for there to be total silence, which never happened before. Rav Nosanzal said whenever Rav Enazal would speak, everyone was quiet. There was perfect silence so that everybody would be able to hear. But here there were hundreds of people packed together, and I believe they were standing. They weren't sitting. <clears throat> and it was totally impossible for people not to move around a little. <clears throat> and Rav Nosanzal writes that some of the people were actually in danger. People almost fainted, and some of them had to leave quickly. They, they couldn't handle it. And still we were Zorcha that Rav Enesal completed this incredible long shear. And Rav Nosanal says, Ashrei to the eyes that witnessed this. It's interesting that it's mentioned elsewhere that because of the situation, Rav Nosanal himself couldn't hear everything. There were parts that he missed. And it was Hershber, it was those aristocrats that lived in Uman, <clears throat> the ones who originally denied the existence of Hashem, they were present, this Hershber was present, and people made sure to give him space. Nobody would crowd him. And, and there were parts of the Torah that Rav Nosanzal reviewed with Hershber because Hershber had heard it more clearly, more easily than Rav Nosanzal himself heard it. We go on to the next paragraph. Two hundred and twenty-one. I'm sorry, two hundred and twenty. Rav writes that on that era of Rosh Hashanah, <clears throat> Rav Nosanzal spoke to us about the rabbi of the city of Breslov. <clears throat> Remember, we're in Uman now. Rav left Breslov about a half a year ago, and Rab- and Rav spoke to them about the rov of the city of Breslov, who was one of Rav closest students. Reb Aranzal, the famous Reb Aranzal, <clears throat> who Rabbi Nezal spoke about him in the highest of terms before he came to Rabbi Nachman. He was a tremendous Talmud Chacham, a tzaddik, and, and one of the closest students of Rabbi Nezal, and yet he didn't make it for that last Rosh Hashanah. We spoke about this earlier, that he came to Rabbi Nezal before Rosh Hashanah and told him, what do I do? The people in the city are saying that I have to stay there because I'm the rov of the city. When Rabbi Nezal was living in Breslov, he would split, spend part of Rosh Hashanah with the people of the city as the rabbi of the city, and, and some of the prayers with Rabbi Nezal, with the Breslov group. But now, <coughs> Uman and Breslov are about a hundred miles apart. So, so Rabbi Rab, Nezal had come to Rabbi Nezal before Rosh Hashanah to speak about this, and in the end, Rabbi Nezal told him, go home, go back to Breslov, you have to be with the people there. And yet, Rabbi Nezal said to Rabbi Nezal and Rabbi Naftali Zal, what should I tell you? There's nothing more important than this, than to be by me for Rosh Hashanah. And even though other tzaddikim don't say this, they don't make such a big deal about this, that by them it's not so critical and mandatory to be with them for Rosh Hashanah, 
Okay, so there's another question that you have about me. People have questions about certain things that I say, so now they have another question. But Rabbi Nezal said, my whole focus is on Rosh Hashanah, is only on Rosh Hashanah. <clears throat> and he expounded about how important it is. He said, Kaingressers from them is Nitfarhan. There's nothing more important than this. And he said, for Rosh Hashanah, everyone needs to be present. And Rabbi Nezal says, these words were being spoken on that last Rosh Hashanah of his life, when Rabbi Nezal passed away 10 days later approximately, which means we all understood that, that for all those that are willing to listen to what he has to say, <clears throat> that he wasn't referring just to while he was physically living, <clears throat> but even after he would pass away. And Rabbi Nezal said, we need to make an announcement. We need to announce everybody to know how important this is. And now he continues, Rabbi Nezal continues, paragraph 221, that on that final Rosh Hashanah, shortly before Rabbi Nezal passed away, he was back in the house of this Rabbi Nachman Nassim, And we davened with him, in a large lobby over there. <clears throat> and Rabbi Nezal said to us, you need to daven very, very hard. And he said, <clears throat> you need to look carefully. And he made a, a, a statement. He said, go and see, go and look in the ambar. Ambar is a Yiddish word for lobby, for lobby, a large lobby. However, Rabbi Nassim Zal says <clears throat> that we know there's a famous, I'm sorry, I believe it's Rabbi Nachman Shirin who fills this in, that there's a famous quote in the Gemara, which comes up several times, where the Gemara says, Puk chazi my amadabar. There are certain cases where there's a question as to how something should be done. Should it be done like this? Should it be done like that? And sometimes the rabbis say, go out and see how people conduct themselves. According to how people conduct themselves, that's the right way, that's what should be done. So the expression is, go and see my amo de bar, my, in Aramaic, my amo de bar. And Rabbi Nassau said, go see me ambar, almost the same word, go look in the lobby, go look, look carefully over there. And Rabbi Nassau says, unfortunately, we, we didn't realize, we didn't realize how serious he was, how Rabbi Nezal was telling us that this is it. Well, I'm, I'm at the finish line now. And, and only through the most intense prayer possibly will there be any possibility of me being able to live any longer. And unfortunately, shortly afterwards, Rabbi Nezal passed away and we lost what we lost. And he writes, <clears throat> if all the oceans were ink, if all the reeds were quills, there'd be no way to express <clears throat> how the, the incredible loss that, that the world suffered, you know, in Rabbi Nezal passing away at the time. Baruch Hashem, the little bit of Torah that we were zeichet to hear from him, we, we, we haven't forgotten. And were it not for that, what would we do? And then Rabbi Nezal writes, and therefore... <clears throat> There's still hope for us, and we still hope and yearn for Hashem's salvation, that Hashem, with His infinite kindness, will send us the final Redeemer, will send us Moshiach. And just as it says at the end of Parshas Bereshis, when, when Noah was born, it says, that this one will be our consolation. The word which means consolation, is similar to the word Nachman. <clears throat> and and Rav Nosson Zaleh's Kimois Inisonu Yisamchenu, that as many days of suffering that the Jewish people have endured, Hashem will match it with joy and happiness. Amen Ken Yirotsai, may we be zerecha, that this should take place it's shortly in our time. Amen. In the next paragraph, 222, <clears throat> Rav Nassim Zaleh adds a very important point that 
on that final Rosh Hashanah, when, when the sickness intensified to that degree, and on that second night of Rosh Hashanah, after he finished speaking, the sickness intensified, and there were some people standing there, <clears throat> and they were going to run, bring a doctor, and somehow, and they couldn't because it was in the middle of the night. It could have been 11, 12 o'clock at night already. And Rabbi Nassau commented, Baruch Hashem, Baruch Hashem, <coughs> that a doctor didn't come. And he said, anyone who wants to have pity on themselves <coughs> should make every effort in the, in the world not to have a doctor come to them. Even, and Rabbi Nassau said, even if later... I myself am going to say, bring a doctor. I'm telling you now, don't. Don't bring any doctors. And Rav Nosenzal says that unfortunately that's, that's exactly what happened. <clears throat> and shortly afterwards, we did not fulfill what he told us at this point. Because what happened was, Erev Sukkot, on the day before Sukkot, when his sickness got worse, and people started screaming, bring a doctor. And Rabbi Nassau himself said, okay, go call a doctor. And Rabbi Nassau said, I didn't want them to do that. Even though it seemed to people that Rabbi Nassau himself agreed, that he said, bring a doctor, I knew, I knew that that wasn't what he really wanted. Even though I hadn't heard, I wasn't present on the night of Rosh Hashanah, when he warned people, he said, Don't, no doctor. And even if I myself will say, bring a doctor, I'm telling you now, don't do it. But Rav Nosanzal said, I understood from previous discussions and previous conversations with Rav Nosanzal how much he did not want a doctor to come to him. However, he was forced to agree. He was forced to submit because all the people there were saying, bring a doctor, get a doctor. And, Rab- and, and Rabbein Azal couldn't convince them otherwise, because this is how Rabbein Azal conducted himself, that there were times when he himself understood that something should not be done. However, if there were people there and everybody was pressuring to do it and insisting that it be done, he wouldn't go against them. And Rabbein Azal says that this was the case in several, on several occasions. And Rabbi Nizal himself gave several examples where there were certain instances where he knew he didn't want something to be done, but if people insisted, he went along with it, even though he knew that it wouldn't help at all. And Rabbi Nizal says that's, that's exactly what happened regarding the doctor, and that's why I felt positive that they should definitely not call a doctor. However, there was no way in the world that I could go against the consensus at that time. And again, it, it seemed as if even Rabbi Nizal agreed with them, and especially since they saw that the illness intensified to such a degree. So on Erev Sukkot, they called a doctor, and Rabbi Nizal writes, Halavai, if only they wouldn't have called a doctor, because he did not help the situation at all. And it seems... <clears throat> that he even hastened Rabbein Azal's passing away. And on that second night of Rosh Hashanah, when things got worse, Rabbein Azal said to a person who was standing next to him, <clears throat> regarding death, I already made it clear, I'm not afraid at all. And then Rabbein Azal commented, after everything, <clears throat> we did accomplish something in this world, Baruch Hashem implying the fact that he succeeded in, in encouraging many people to do tshuva, both people who are physically living and the many neshamas, the merry souls of people who had passed away, that Rabbi Nezal was involved in repairing their souls. So he commented that Baruch Hashem, we were zeche to, to, to accomplish something in this world. And then at one point he grabbed one of the people there and he gave him like a smack on his shoulder and he said, Avramel, the person's name was Avram, he said, Avramel, Baruch Hashem, we did accomplish something in this world. And Rabbi Nosanzal says, understand what Rabbi Nosanzal was saying. 
Now he adds in the next paragraph, paragraph 223, that shortly before his passing away, when he was very weak and it seemed he was about to, to leave, and we were standing there, and Rabbeinazal was sitting in a chair, extremely weak and in tremendous pain. And, and he was telling us about the, the, the pain and suffering that he was experiencing. And then at one point he closed, he made a fist, and he shook his fist with strength, as if to say, don't think that I'm just weak. Meaning, even though my body is so physically weak and I'm so physically weak at this point, I'm still very, very, very strong in spiritually and in all the things that I wanted to accomplish and I was able to accomplish in this world and, and still will see to it to complete all the things that I started. And Rav Zal adds that one of Rav Nosanzal's students, Rav Meir, came in and Rav Nosanzal grabbed his garment. He was wearing a woolen garment. Rav Nosanzal grabbed the garment in a t- strong as if to imply Look, I'm, I'm not only weak. And then at one point, Rabbi Nassim adds, when Rabbi Nassim was lying down and he was sighing deeply, at one point he said, all of this doesn't really apply to me. It's, it's like someone is standing over me and, and hitting. And, and he's over there, implying that that he's able to disconnect and detach himself on a certain level from all of the physical suffering. And now Rav Zal adds a closing remark on this chapter, this chapter in Chaim Aran, which is the chapter of Rav Zal's leaving Breslev and going to Uman. And Rav Zal adds, this is paragraph 225, that Rabbeinu Zal had already given a guarantee during his lifetime, and he actually took two witnesses for this, that when he would pass away, anyone who would come to his gravesite and give a coin to Tzedakah on his behalf, and Rav Zal heard this from Rav Naftali Zal, who was one of the two witnesses. The two witnesses for this were Rav Naftali Zal and Rav Aran Zal that Rabbein called them over and he said, I want you to serve as witnesses. I'm saying this, that anyone who would come to my gravesite and give something to charity on my behalf and recite these 10 chapters of Tehillim, which are the Tikkun Akloli, which Rabbein said even serve as a Tikkun for Mikra Laila, one of the most severe forms of Pigama Bris, Rabbein said, I will go to every length and breadth. I'll do everything possible to be able to assist that person. And Rabbein said, with the person's payas, I'll pull them out of Gehenna. No matter how bad the person is, no matter what the person did, as long as the person accepts upon themselves that from this point on, I'm going to be good. I'm not going to go back to committing those sins. And this is an incredible, important line, what we just mentioned now. There are many people that quote the first part of this, and they forget the last part. They quote the fact that Rabbein Azal said, whoever comes to, to, to his gravesite and says the ten chapters give stucker, he'll pull him out of Gehenna. There's this additional line on, on condition that the person accepts upon themselves that from now on, I will do everything I can not to go back to my sinful ways. And Rabbi Nassar says the night before he passed away, Rabbi Nassar passed away on the 18th of Tishrei, in the middle of Chalamoit Sukkot, the night before he passed away, he said to the students around him, what do you have to worry about if I'm going before you? Meaning I'm leaving the world before you. He said, if, if even those people who didn't know, know him during his lifetime, and if they will come to his kever, and they'll rely on him, and they'll study his teachings, and they'll follow his ways, they have who to rely on, ashray to him, then, then certainly, certainly, those people who knew him before and were close to him, certainly don't have what to worry about. 
and, and Rav Nassim writes that we understood that everything he did during his lifetime and afterwards was not just for us, not just for those who were present, but also those who weren't present, just like we find in the Torah, when Moshe Rabbeinu speaks about Hashem giving the Aseris Adibris on Har Sinai, he says later on in Chumash Dvorim, Ki poi, poi, that the, the entire spectacle of what took place on Har Sinai and everything was for those who were physically present there at the time and also for all those that weren't present. And with this, we close this chapter in Chaim Aran, speaking about the Rabbeinu's stay in, in the city of Uman. In some of the printings of Chaim Aran, in some of the printings of Chaim Aran, <coughs> there's an additional piece, there's an additional several paragraphs, paragraph 226, where Rabbeinu's Zal says, that I heard from my friend, my friend Rav Naftali that Rabbein Azal, when he was in Uman, once made, quoted the statement that Moshe Rabbeinu had said to Paro, when Moshe Rabbeinu said to Paro, <coughs> when Paro asked him, please daven for me, Moshe Rabbeinu said, when I leave the city, I'll extend my hands, I'll pray for you. And Rabbein was implying, when I leave the city, meaning when I pass away, I will continue and especially pray for all those that are close to me. The next statement, paragraph 227, again, Rav says <coughs> that he heard from Rav Naftali Zal right before Rosh Hashanah, that last Rosh Hashanah, that, that Rabbein said, there's a, a, a great, awesome mountain coming towards us. However, Rabbi Nezal said, I don't know if we're going towards the mountain or the mountain is going towards us. And Rabbi Nezal did not explain what he was referring to. Another short statement. Rabbi Nezal says said once, they've broken us like a piece of broken pottery. I thought that all of you would be great tzaddikim with tremendous knowledge, tremendous wisdom, like there haven't been in many generations. And now, unfortunately, they've broken us like a broken piece of pottery. Now, Rav Nosan Zaleid's paragraph 229, we just have a little more to finish, and then we'll take any questions. Rav Nassar says, I once asked Rav Nassar, what's going to be from everything you told us? You know, that we heard from you, it, you seem to imply that you're going to live much longer and you're going to be able to finish everything you want to complete. Rav Nassar said, did you hear what he's asking? I also have this question. And then Rabbi Nezal said, but despite this, you're going to say, I didn't finish? I did finish. I did finish and I will finish. And Rabbi Nezal said this with tremendous strength. And Rabbi Nezal says, if you recall, when they first left Breslov going to Uman and I was traveling with him, Rabbi Nezal then made this statement he was speaking about Hashem. And he said, Hashem always finishes what he wants to finish. And Rav Nassim Zaleitz, there's a lot to say about this. But, but basically, originally, it seemed, it seemed to Rav Nassim when we first came close to him, that he would complete the tikkun relatively quickly. But unfortunately, afterwards, due to our many sins, and due to the sins of the generation, and due to the tremendous opposition that Rabbein Azal encountered, this caused major confusion, major problems, and Rabbein Azal was not, in an obvious way, able to finish everything he wanted to during his physical lifetime. However, he did say, he did say, I have, comp I have finished and I will finish. Because after he, re after he came back from Lemberg, 
Rabbein Hazal was zocher to, to accomplish incredible things, to reveal major Torahs, which, which, which ensured that his light would never be extinguished. As I heard from Rabbein Hazal, he said those famous words in Yiddish, Mein Feierl vetschein pluin bis Moshiach vet kimen. My fire will continue to burn <clears throat> until Moshiach will come. And we, we anxiously await the coming of Moshiach speedily in our days. Baruch Hashem, Baruch Hashem. Some of the things that we're saying here, a person who is not familiar with Rabbi Nezal's teachings <clears throat> and, and, and not, not very involved, it could sound strange or difficult, but if a person will be zeche to study Rabbi Nezal's teachings, you, you'll see that the, what, whatever was said here doesn't in any way yet describe or do justice to, to Rabbi Nezal, to his accomplishments, and to, to the things we see today, things that are hard to believe, hard to imagine, how it's, it's 200 years after Rabbi Nezal <coughs> passed away, over 200 years, and we see thousands of people, thousands of people all over the world, even at a time like now, what we just experienced recently. I just met a friend of mine from, from New York who's visiting here in Eretz Yisrael, and he's not a breast lover by, by a long shot. We're close friends. We, we went to high school together and, and remained friends over the years a bit. And this is a person who donates to Breslov, but very often when you would donate to Breslov, you tell me, remember, this is for Israel, not for Oman. Nothing to do with Oman. And, and we met this morning <clears throat> talking, and he said to me, you didn't go to Oman this year, did you? And I said, I, I did. And he said, other people went? Because he heard of one person who didn't go, from mutual friend. I said, I know he didn't go, but there, there were He said, about how many people went? I said about 25, 27,000 people. And he was quiet, and he was quiet. And he said, like he was incredulous, because again, the world heard there's a war going on. I said, but you need to know that Ukraine isn't a little village, a little town. Ukraine is much larger than the state of New York. You know, so we're talking about a, a major, a huge country. He heard it, and then he said to me, I have to go with you. I, one time I have to go, no question. He said, I'd like to be in Eretz Yisrael for Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur, I'd like to spend it, okay. But for Rosh Hashanah, I'd like to go and come back. I said, for sure. I, when I go to Oman, I come back the day after Rosh Hashanah, the day after I'm back, no problem. And I myself was shocked because this is a person... <coughs> this is a person who knows very little about Breslov. We're friends... But I, I know that he's, he's in a different place. We speak Divrei Torah, we share interesting things, personal things. We grew up in the same neighborhood. Our families knew each other, know each other. And yet you see that somehow, somehow, people all over the world of all different types are touched. And there is some kind of a realization that people have that I have to see this, I have to taste this. And, and those that have seen, those that have tasted, know that there is something awesome, something very special here in Rabbeinazal's teachings, in Rabbeinazal's students, and in the kever of Rabbeinazal. We see things, we see incredible things that people on all levels, again, this is something as strange as could be. How could it be that this same place, this same rabbi is attracting people who are not wearing yarmulkes, with ear, men with earrings in one ear, in two ears, in three ears, and, and people who seem to be the furthest thing possible from, from observing religion. And some of them are not Shomer Shabbos, not Shem, and yet they're coming, they're coming. And then you see people, Rosh Yeshivas, rabbis on a very high level, <coughs> coming, and, and somehow this is a meeting place. This tzaddik somehow has something for everyone, everyone. As Rabbi Nezal himself defined that a, a true tzaddik a, is someone who has the ability to address the needs of the most advanced people, the most advanced people in knowledge of Torah, in observance of Yiddishkeit. A true tzaddik is able to show them things that they never imagined 
about Torah, about the greatness of Hashem, to give them the ability to make a whole fresh new start in coming close to Hashem. At the same time, the tzaddik is able to take people who feel like they have almost zero connection to Torah, to Hashem, to spirituality, and be able to touch them in a way where these people are able to come and, and pray and cry, actually break into tears at Rabbeinazal's kever, or hear the words, hear the divrei Torah of Rabbeinazal, and be touched and be affected in an incredible way, incredible way. Shem should help, we should be zechah to appreciate that, that we're privileged, that we don't oppose this. Unfortunately, many of the people who speak against Rabbeinazal, against Breslov, against these teachings, it's only because they never really looked at it with any honesty. They never really studied it. They never really had a sincere conversation to be able to, with someone who, who's knowledgeable, who understands a little bit about Rabbeinazal's teachings, we should be zechah to see Rabbeinazal and all the other tzaddikim work their magic on Klal Yisrael to be able to bring us to a complete tshuva, a real complete tshuva shalema, and, and bring about the final geula for Klal Yisrael. We who are living in these times especially, this friend of mine who's from America, and, and he comes from the modern orthodox world, and, and he's telling me America is lost, is lost. And this is a person, not to a person who's comfortable financially, even lives in an area, has a shul, he blows shoifer on Rosh Hashanah for the shul. We're not talking about a person who's a, a lost soul in any way. But yet he sees the situation, the world situation, what's going on in America, what's going on in Israel, the governments, the cultures, the society, horrific, horrific. And our only, our only hope is that the tzaddikim, the tzaddikim that are living, and especially the merit of the tzaddikim who have passed away, all of them, Avram Yitzchok Yaakov, the Mora Samach Pela, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yechoi, all the great tzaddikim, that their merit, their schus, and their prayers, combined with our prayers, will lead to a final geula with the coming of Moshiach, Bimhe Rabbi Amenu, Amen V'Amen. Wishing everybody a wonderful week. Question? Rabbi, does yes. that mean it, it, if you don't have Teyas, he'll still bring you out of Gehinam? The, the answer is definitely. There are, there are one of the commentaries, one of the commentaries on the term Peya, Peya means the edge. The Peyas are on the edge of the skull-like. That he'll even grab the, the tiniest little edge, like when a person wants to pick up something heavy. Usually you have to get a good grip on the whole thing to be able to lift it up. But somebody who's really strong sometimes can grab hold even of the edge of something, end of something, and be able to lift it up. Be able to lift it up. Rabbi Nezal said the payah meaning that even the edge, the slightest little bit of holiness, of goodness in the person, I'll be able to grab hold of that and use that to be able to lift the person up, to elevate the person. Baruch Hashem.